have uh, been in a series called Tech where the whole point and purpose of this series was to showcase this. We wanted to showcase the Bible, and if you're new to the Bible, what you need to know about it, and Chris kind of laid this out in in beautiful detail that first Sunday where he kind of walked us through that it's not just one book, it's actually a collection of books. There's about 66 different books, and some of those books are poetry, and some of those books are actually letters, some of those books are history, and what you need to know about this collection of books that is compiled into one book that we call the Bible is that it was written by about 40-plus different authors over a span of about 1,500-plus years, but the uniqueness of this is that it tells one story. It tells a story of redemption where God, the king, doesn't power up like we think that kings do, but instead of powering up, he journeys down. He journeys down into our world, and we see all throughout the Bible, it doesn't matter if we start on page one or we're on the last page, what we see is that this this God, this this creator of the universe, this king, instead of powering up, he comes down, and and all along through the, the, the narrative, the story, if you will, throughout Scripture, he has one purpose, and that is to seek relationship to seek redemption, to be able to save his people. He comes down and he meets people where they are and he doesn't just leave them there, but he has a way of navigating life differently after they meet. And so the story is told in two sections. It's it's, it's known as kind of the Old Testament and then you have the New Testament. And in these sections, we see what we call covenants. In the Old Testament, we see covenants that are made with Noah. We see covenants that are made with Abraham and Moses and others. And these covenants were all promises. They were deals that were made between God and his people that he would say, listen, I'm going to even put blood on it. I'm going to make a covenant with you that says, I'm here to to seek a relationship with you. I'm here to, to navigate and maintain and preserve a relationship. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is that ultimately all those covenants are pointing toward something. Or better yet, they're pointing toward someone. And so what we begin to see is that the journey gets real personal for you and I. It gets real when we turn the page and we see that God journeys down into our life. In fact, he sends himself in the form of his son, Jesus. And what he does is he creates a new covenant, the New Testament. And he creates a covenant that is deeply personal, and he, and he creates a, a covenant that is all of a sudden for everyone for all of time. And it's a covenant for where he saves his people ultimately, once and for all, through his son Jesus. And we see this unfold in the New Testament. But if we begin to link things together, what we begin to see is that the Old Testament, through the prophets and others, If we begin to to link these things together, we begin to see that all of that was ultimately pointing to the new covenant. And see, again, that new covenant opens up a relationship to God for anyone, for all of time. And it's a relationship that offers life. It's a a relationship that, that, that offers more than what we see at the moment. It offers something bigger, something different, something better. And that's the story of the Bible. That's the heart of the Bible. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to take a few weeks and and get you acquainted with the heart of the Bible. 
that we wanted to move you and navigate you from maybe a misconception that you had about the Bible where, oh, it's just a rule book, you know, the Ten Commandments and things for me to do and I'm going to get bogged down and I'll never live up to them, so why even crack the cover? We wanted to say, no, 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 shelve that for a minute. We want to share with you the heart of the Bible because we believe when you begin to grasp the heart of the Bible, you're going to be more inclined to be engaged with the Bible. And so we've given you keys, and we've given you things and helps along the way. Week one, we gave you those bookmarks, and we said, listen, we don't care where you start, just start. You can read a verse a day, you can read a passage a day, a book a day, a chapter a day, whatever you want to do, just start reading your Bible. And it's been amazing so far. I've had people text me or email me already in this two weeks and go, I can't believe what's in here. It's been so long since I've read it, or to be honest, I've had some people be honest. To be honest, I've been following Jesus for a little while and really haven't read it. And I'm amazed. I feel better. My day starts differently. And, and I, I, I had a guy text me, and he's, he's taking notes in a journal. And, it, and he says, this is, this is changing my life. And that's what we wanted to introduce you to. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something that you look at and go, I'm afraid I can never live up to it. And so it's better for me to just kind of keep the cover closed. That's not the heart of the Bible. Chris said it week one, and we've kind of repeated it each week. He says that the heart of the Bible is not something, or it doesn't say live up to this. No, it says live into this. It's a story that we're to live into. It's not something that we look at and go, wow, this is like a big yardstick and I'm never going to measure up. And so why try? No. When we begin to see the heart of the Bible, we begin to engage it differently. When we begin to engage it differently, we begin to step into the story. And here's the thing about you and I. We're still living out the story. Think of it like this. Your life and what God is doing in your life is a continuation of the pen. Guys, think about this. We are continuing, if you will, to write stories and testimonies and chapters of God continuing to pursue a relationship and redeem his people through Jesus. And so what we hope is happening is we hope that you're beginning to hunger. Every morning you feel like something's missing if you don't start your morning. In the afternoon, you feel restless if you haven't opened this up, that you're beginning to, to develop a hunger for this or an appetite for this. Guys, I'm a huge foodie, and I, I, I had a, a, a realization this week. I talk about food a lot up here. I'm starting to worry that it's a disease, to be honest. But I'm not going to name a pizza place. I'm not going to talk about it today, okay? But guys, I'm a foodie. But what I've noticed throughout Scripture, apparently God is too, because he talks about food a lot. But I'm a foodie. In fact, I'll take it even a step farther. Lori and I, we tend to be, to our own detriment at times, we're especially junk foodies. Any other? Guys, I bet I had 42 Reese's peanut butter eggs at Easter, okay? It's not, it's not healthy. But I love junk food, and that junk food causes me to navigate to East Nashville to eat a certain place at times. But it's just, we, we, we love junk food. And we had a moment this last week or so where Lori calls me like she normally do. We eat out a lot too, okay? It's just Lori and I, and so it's just easier to go eat out. Uh, you know, it, it costs less. Like, where, how am I going to go to the grocery store and buy all the things to make fajitas for $9.99? It's just not going to happen. So it's just easier to go eat Mexican, right? And I get all the chips I want, and, and, and I don't have to fire up the grill or anything else. So anyway, we eat out a lot. And so this, this last week, she called me. She says, hey, what are, you, uh, what are you thinking? Now, we have fallen off the wagon since the first of the year, so we're back in this bad rhythm of junk food. And I said, you know, I don't know. I said, what do you want? And so 
Here goes an hour conversation about what we're going to eat. It's pretty much the conversation she has her entire drive home from work. She leaves. What are we going to eat? When she pulls in, we still haven't decided what she's going to eat. And so I said, you know, I don't know. I'm just not really craving anything. I just kind of feel blah. Well, are you not hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry, I think. But I'm just, I, I don't know. Anybody ever felt that way? You just go, I just don't know what, I'm just not feeling anything. I'm not craving anything. It was as if my appetite had been stuffed with so much stuff throughout the course of the week that it had just kind of stalled out. And I got to thinking about that, and part of the reason I think that my appetite has stalled out is because of what I'm constantly feeding it. See, my appetite was failing me because I was failing it. I wasn't feeding it good things, so therefore, you know what? I just kind of felt blah. I felt hungry, but I'm not really hungry. I didn't feel hungry, but I, was, I knew I should be hungry. And all these kinds of things beginning to work against me because I was, was not feeling satisfied with what the previous meals had left. What the previous meals that I had experienced all of a sudden left me just kind of feeling blah, stalled out, restless, not craving anything. There was a, a, a dietitian by the name of Victor Linlar. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but I bet you've heard this. He said this, you are what you eat. Now guys, he said this almost a century ago. And he went on to follow that statement up. He said that 90% of diseases known to man are caused by what he called cheap food stuffs, junk food. Then he makes the statement again, you are what you eat. Now, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor, but you begin to, to navigate a, a hundred years later almost, you know what we see? Diabetes linked to food. Certain cardiovascular issues linked to food. GI issues linked to food. Some cancers linked to food. And it's almost like he knew something that we didn't know at the time, but now we've developed, you are what you eat. So when I take bad things in, I'm left on the phone with Lori going, I'm just not really craving anything. When I take bad things in, I have bad days where I just don't feel 100%. And so I wonder how much of this can be linked to us spiritually. There are moments in my life where this shows itself true spiritually. I take bad things in, I don't take the right things in, and I just don't feel. Guys, I have conversations all the time. I sit down at coffee shops and other places, and, and, and we have conversations that in some way, form, or fashion look like this. You know, Jason, I, I just don't feel like God is working in my life. You know, Jason, I, I just, I don't feel at peace, or I don't feel like this. You know, I've been coming to church for a month now. I've been coming to church for a year now. I, I, maybe it's me. It just doesn't feel like it's working. I don't feel any different. I don't, you know, I still struggle with some things, and I, I still just feel uneasy. I, I don't feel on fire anymore. I just, I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's all these, you know, things of the, I, I just don't know, and it's this restlessness. You can feel the tension at the table or over the phone or even in an email. Like, there's just this unsatisfied, I, I want more, I'm trying to get more, but I, I just don't know how, and it just doesn't seem to be working, and maybe you've been there, maybe you are there, and I always follow that up with a question. How much time are you spending with God? How much time are you spending with God, both in prayer and in reading? And typically what I hear back, and as I begin to evaluate those restless moments in my own life, when I begin to evaluate my calendar, when I begin to evaluate my habits, what I typically hear back is none 
or not as much as I should be, not as regularly as I should be, and this is what I say, then let's start there. Let's start there. And I don't want to diminish any of those feelings. I don't want to ignore those feelings. What I want to do is I want to pause and I want to, int- I want to, I want to look at, I want to evaluate our intake because what I believe about our spiritual life and our spiritual health and our spiritual growth and, and, and getting out of that rec- reckless but also restless seasons of life, what I figured out is that just like my physical appetite mechanism, it works best when I feed it good things. When I'm feeding it clean things, when I'm feeding it veggies and fruits and clean meat, it works better. I feel more alive. I don't have those sluggish parts of my day when I rid myself of some of that sugar and some of that processed stuff. All of a sudden, I don't have. And so when Lori calls and says, what do you want to eat? I'm like, hey, let's do a steak and asparagus. I know exactly because my, my physical appetite mechanism is working at full throttle. And our spiritual, if we want to call it an appetite mechanism, Works best when we're feeding it good things. And guys, I want you to know something. This is real life. And it has real life effects. Let me just kind of give you a few of mine. Some things that I deal with. When I, and I can tell when I don't spend enough time in prayer, when I don't spend enough time in his word, what begins to happen is not only do I feel restless, there are other things. There are real life effects that this has on me. You fill in your own blanks. Maybe you can identify with a few of these. But here's a few things that happen in my life. When I spend time away from God's word, I tend to maximize and minimize. I maximize the weaknesses of others, and I minimize the weakness in myself. I begin to uh, completely even ignore the weaknesses in my own life, but let me tell you, I can point out the weakness in you pretty quick. That's those moments when you get in this rhythm of where nothing's your fault, it's someone else's fault. But when I get into the Word, what I begin to see is that, you know what? That God is is making my weaknesses strengths. God is continuing to empower me, and so I, 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 I tend to be a little more forgiving when it comes to your weaknesses. Another thing that I deal with when, is, is that my outlook on life tends to be this. What I see is all there is. And in those moments, that's where I get in these moments where the sky is falling, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, this is it, doom and gloom, and I begin to focus in on this little moment of life, and I go, well, this must be as good as it gets. But I spend time with God's Word, here's what happens. I begin to see, He has a way of reminding me that not only is this life a flash, He calls it a vapor, but I also begin to see eternity, but I get to see something else. I get to see that life here and now is not all that there is. And it doesn't have to be. What I begin to see is that the situations in my life that really bog me down or really kind of tighten in on me, what I begin to see is that, you know what, I can participate in something that makes things better. That I can live differently. That there's more to life than just settling for what I see on the news. No, life is better when I begin to live life differently. When I begin to treat others with love and show them the grace that's been shown to me. Another thing that's really kind of similar to that is that when I get away from this, when I get away from these routines, I begin to spend way too much time focusing on my stuff. I begin to focus way, and so I cling to and I chase stuff. And and, and I say I've got to, to obtain more stuff. And in doing so, what I've noticed is that it not only becomes my identity, what I have 
what I have accumulated becomes my identity, it deceives me into thinking that that's where my security is. But I begin to take time and get into God's word. What I begin to see is, A, it's not mine to begin with. So what am I chasing? And better yet, what, how am I using that which I'm chasing? But also what I begin to see as I, as I navigate into the text is this, is that there's only one thing that brings security. I can trust in a house, and I can trust in a job, and I can trust in my car, and I can trust in my relationships, but ultimately there's only one trust that never fails, that never breaks, and never, never rusts out. And I'm reminded of that, but I begin to forget that the longer I take time. And then something else, maybe this is for you. When I don't spend time with God and reading, I live life wound pretty tight. Now, if you, na- if you have this season of life with me and you notice that, man, Jason is just tense, it's probably because I haven't spent enough time in the Word. I began to, to live in tension and I hold on to anger way longer than I should. And maybe you can identify with that. I navigate life with a you owe me mentality. But again, I get into Scripture. What I begin to see is God says, yeah, you owed me, but I forgave you. And so how about you go do that to someone else? How about you extend mercies? And it reminds me, and it makes me way less tense and way less annoyed with people. See, real life, real-time effects. And so when we separate from this, it's not just separating from knowing, you know, facts and figures about God and the, the history of Israel and the history of... No, it's more than that. It, it affects us deeply. It, 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 it stunts our growth, it, it, it captivates and captures enjoyment and joy that we're meant to live life with. Here's the point of all this, is that our Bible's closed, our faith fades, but our Bible's open, our faith flourishes. And we want you as leadership here, we want you to flourish. We want you to live life not angry. We want you to live life knowing that, you know what, all that you see is not all that there is. We want you to live life not just basking in how, how you're not good enough, but we want you to, to, to live life in saying, listen, God has, has, is, is working through you to make you everything that you need to be, that you are who he says you are. And here's the thing, our faith will not grow unless we spend time here. Guys, I can't say that enough. If your faith hasn't grown, my guess is you've not spent enough time here. It's really that simple. It's that important. It's that huge that we spend time. And so this whole series was about getting you to a place where you begin to crave. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a letter that he wrote and, and, and a collection of things that he put together. He was a follower of Jesus. He was the one that really kind of made a fool out of himself at times. Anytime you uh, doubt whether we are imperfect people, just go read Peter's story. You're going to feel pretty good about yourself after you read Peter's story because the guy was just a fool at times. And so, but God used him in this and, and he, he preserved something for us through the pen of Peter. And so Peter writes about this very thing, this craving, if you will. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Then cue into this. He says, like newborn babies, he says, crave desire, if you will, the pure spiritual milk. What he's talking about is the word. There's some versions, you may be reading a word that says, crave the pure word. 
so that by it you may grow and taste that the Lord is good. Now, I want to point out a couple things. I'm going to draw out a couple things, then I'm going to challenge you to go and, and continue to, to read through the next two weeks, as, and hopefully that sets up some habits. But go back to verse 2. Verse 2, the first part of that, he says, as newborn babies, he says, crave the pure spiritual milk, the word. See that word, crave. It comes from a root word that means to burn. It's to deeply desire something. And, 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 and it doesn't just stop with the desire. It goes on to imply that it expresses an eager action. It's like, I've got to go get that. I've got to, to have that. I've got to take part in that. It's this greatly desiring. And it implies in this, if you begin to look at the context, it implies that you've got to make a deliberate to d- a decision to desire it. It's not enough to just kind of want it a little bit. He goes, no, no. He says, you're going to crave, and you know this in, in life. If you're craving ice cream, you go get ice cream. Last night, I wanted ice cream. So we went to Pied Piper and got ice cream. When you have a craving that burns, you can't get it off your mind. When you have a craving, this deep desire for something, it doesn't matter if the rest of the family wants pizza or not. We're having pizza tonight because I'm craving pizza. And so he says in the same way, he says, become deliberate about it. He says it, it requires intentionality. It won't happen automatically. See, I think sometimes we think that if we own the Bible, that somehow the Bible will own us. It, it, it implies that you've got to be intentional about the way that you seek it, that, that it being on your shelf doesn't mean that it's going to leave an imprint on your heart. He says, no, no, no. He says, crave it to the point that you can't wait to grab it off the You can't wait to grab it off the night. You can't wait till morning because you know what's there. And he goes on to say, he says, this goes for all of us. Don't get tripped up on the newborn baby stuff. See, sometimes we read this in scripture, like Hebrews, the Hebrew writer talks about, hey, at some point you've got to, you can't be babies anymore. You got to get off the milk and into the meat. This is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that this is just for you newbies. He's not paralleling that which is a newborn baby to a mature Christian. No, he's saying, listen, this applies to everyone. What he's saying is that, listen, you want to crave the word. You want to crave it, desire it with the same intensity that a newborn baby does. Anybody been in the room with a newborn baby lately that's hungry? That's what he's saying. When a baby gets hungry, you know it. And they begin to get intense about it. Oh, and it's a burning, it's a desire, and they're going to let everybody within crying, a crying ear know about it. We know that baby's hungry. Somebody needs to feed that baby. They have a way of letting us know, and Peter says, listen, just like that newborn craves and deeply desires pure milk, he says, you treat the Bible, treat the, the text, treat the word, treat it as spiritual milk where you just can't get enough, where you begin to crave. I love what Job says. I don't have this on the screen, but listen to what Job says. He says, I treasure the words of your mouth, talking about God's word. He says, I treasure the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. He says, listen, God, your words, the interaction and the engagement with your word means more to me. I crave it more. I treasure it more than the bread that sits on my table every day. And fulfilling this, and this is what we need to know, fulfilling this craving, beginning to tap into and and deliberately making decisions and living with intentionality to get into the Word, it produces something. It produces results. Verse 2, 
Look at the end of this. So that by it, meaning the word, so that by the word you may grow up. He says, listen, if you're in a place where you stalled out and you're not growing, it's because you're not craving. He says, go and, 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 and add to. See that word grow? He's talking about that. In doing so, what you're doing is you're adding to. He says, you're increasing something. You're maturing in something. And there's all those moments where you go, I feel empty. He says, well, there's something you can do. Crave. Add to. Grow in the word. Guys, this is so important to us. In fact, it was so important from us day one. And if you've been through our open house, which we've got another season of that coming up, where we just kind of tell you a little about who we are and what, we, what we're about, and it's really simple. We said we were, we're going to be about four things. We're going to be about worship. We're going to be about family. We're going to be about hospitality, which covers our generosity we talked about earlier. And then we're going to be about discipleship. Guys, this was so important. Discipleship's a big churchy word for growing. Growing in Jesus, growing to be like Jesus. This is such a big deal to us as leadership that we incorporate it into the very fabric and DNA of who we are. We want you to grow. And you can't do that, Peter says, if you're not craving the spiritual milk. If you're not spending time in God's word, he says, you're just going to stall out. And all of a sudden, there's going to be these moments in life where you're on your way to church and you just feel, blah. I don't feel satisfied. But in this moment where we begin to open text, satisfaction comes. Life comes. These things begin to come. It's impossible to grow in your relationship with God without growing in the relationship with God's Word. And that's what we want you to feel. Now, before you check out and begin to feel overwhelmed or begin to feel guilty, like there's something wrong with me. I'm not craving. You know, the guy across the, the aisle from me, I bet he's a craver. He looks like a craver. You know, like he's on fire. You know, like, and, and what's wrong with me? Before you get to that place, let me just I, I, I spend the rest of my time this morning answering a question. How do I, someone who's busy, someone who's new to this, someone who d- feels underqualified and undereducated to read the Bible and, you know, be able to have this deep philosophy and develop this deep theology, how do I, as just a common reader, of the, how, how do I begin to condition myself to crave this? Because I want to. I want the things that we've talked about. I want to grow. I don't want to just stall out. I want to feel life. I, I, I don't have a problem with. I'm not scared of anymore. How do I begin to develop a craving? And Peter gives us three things. I just want to run through these really quick. Peter, in this text, gives us three ways that we can kickstart that craving, that we can cultivate. He says, listen, you want to cultivate that craving that we're talking about? Let me give you three quick things. We start in verse 2. I want to go back to verse 1, then we're going to skip to verse 3, okay? So we're going to kind of encompass everything that we read at the beginning of this. Verse 1, look what he says. He says, therefore, stop. Now, guys, I was taught that anytime the word therefore pops up in Scripture, you stop and see what it's there for. What he's saying is that therefore, meaning that there's something that I've just said, that has great bearing on what I'm about to say. you got to remember that the text back in the day when it was originally written was not written with chapters and verses and, you know, those bold texts that says, you know, suffering for doing good and all those kinds of things that cues you into what's about. None of that stuff was there. So if you begin to read this and expand this text out back into chapter 1, what we know is chapter 1, we begin to see anything. Look at verse 22 and 23. See, we go back and we begin to read this. He comes off this, this call to be holy. Then he says in verse 22, I don't have this on the screen, but listen to this. He says, now that you have been purified, he says, by obeying the truth, the truth being the word, so that you have sincere love for one another, pray for one another deeply from the heart. Now look at verse 23. He says, for you have been born again, not of of perishable seed, but imperishable through 
the living and enduring what? Word of God. And he goes on to say, for all people are like grass and, and, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the, fla- and, the, and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he finishes it up with this. And this is the word that was preached to you, that was presented to you. So here's what he's saying. He said, you want a kickstart? He says, remember, therefore, remember your salvation. He says, look at this. You were born again. You were saved through this word. Do you remember that moment? Remember how it's not perishable, it's imperishable. Remember the moment where it endures forever, it stands forever. He said, that's the word that was preached to you and therefore saved you. He says, so if you're feeling dry, you're not craving. He says, maybe it would be good for you, therefore, to go back to and remember that spiritual breakthrough moment. That moment where you you realize that, you know, God loves me and he has gone out of his way to save me. The moment you were fired up, see, the same word that led you to know Jesus is the same word that's going to help you grow in Jesus, grow to be like Jesus. The same word that saves us is the same word that sustains us. He says, so remember that moment of salvation. Remember that. He says, kickstart it. By reflecting on your salvation, he says another way that you can enhance your craving, he says, very simply, he says, remove some things from your life. He says, therefore, in light of you remembering your salvation, remembering that born-again moment where all of a sudden the breakthrough happens and, and you understand the value of the Word because the Word has led you to Jesus, he says, therefore, make some space. He says, rid yourself of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. I want you to notice something about these. Now guys, these are growth stoppers. But guys, these are community busters. Can we get a, a moment of honesty here? Now, I'm just talking to church people for a second. Us good Jesus folk. These tend to run rampant in our churches and among church people. They go unchecked, they go unnoticed. It's as if sometimes we've taken these things and made them not big deals because they're not the big ones. See, we get comfortable sometimes and we feel like that we have grown to maturity because we don't kill people. And we don't walk into a store and steal a pair of jeans and so we go, well, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't cheat on my, my husband or wife, I'm doing pretty good, I'm a good Christian then we have no problem with these. I think the reason that Peter mentions these, he knows that it's pretty easy to stay away from the big stuff. He says, let me get where you live. Because there's going to come a day in time where there's this thing called Facebook and people are going to practice malice and deceit and all kinds of stuff on it and you're going to have no problem with some of these things. He says, your growth has stalled out. He said, in that moment where you just don't crave, he says, what are you feeling yourself with? He says, listen, he says, take a look at some things that's probably built up some residue in your life or is building up and taking up all kinds of space. It's no reason that you can't grow. You begin to break some of these down. He says, hey, how about malice? It's just a, it's just a fancy word for general evil spiritness. It, it's, that, it's that I want to do harm with others, to others with my word and actions. It's that idea of having it out for someone. And is there somebody in your life right now that you just got it out for? 
I can't wait to get back to the office tomorrow. They've got to cut. You just wait. You know, it's that, it's that. It builds up, and the more that builds up, the less that craving diminishes. He says, all deceit, it's this picture of, you know, catching with bait like a fisherman. See, Peter would have used this word because he knows what it's like to, as a fisherman to trick a fish into thinking something's there that's not. He says, do you live life in such a way where you are deliberately attempting to mislead others? He says, then if so, get rid of it because it's taking up space that is diminishing your craving. He says, all right, how about hypocrisy? I know good church people don't deal with hypocrisy. This idea of wearing a mask, pretending that we're something that we're not. He says envy. See, envy is not only wanting what someone else has. Envy is beginning to hate or dislike the person for having it. It's not that I just want your boat. I don't like you because you have your boat. It's this moment where it starts small and it seems trivial, right? But it begins to take up space. And it begins to eat away and deliberately diminish the ability to grow. And all of a sudden, I don't crave because I've got some of these things in my life. He says, slander, evil speaking. Now, again, we, we don't do this, right? I mean, we would never run down someone. We would never seek to misrepresent someone who they are, and, and, and especially behind their backs or on a keyboard. He says, listen, you want to know why you're not craving? Maybe it's because you've not rid yourself of some things. See, these are community busters. They're growth stunners. And he says, listen, get rid of these things in order to make room for new growth. And when you begin to to get some of these things out of the way, you begin to deal with some of these things. And and yeah, Peter says, I know they don't sound like the big ones, but it's the little ones that get you. It's the little ones that are going to stunt your growth. It's the little ones that's going to eat away at your appetite. It's the junk food that gets you. He says, you know, maybe it's because all of this stuff's in there is the reason you're not craving the good stuff anymore. We become addicts to the things that are unhealthy, addicts to the junk food. You guys remember a guy named Morgan Spurlock? I bet you remember hearing about him, whether you recognize the name or not. He did a, uh, a piece called Supersize Me. And the whole deal was he chose for 30 days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, to eat McDonald's. So he decided that he was going to do this for 30 days and listened to one doctor's take on this. Even though he was taking in about 5,000 calories a day, he still felt hungry soon after eating. Within two weeks, I and other doctors were alarmed by the unhealthy blood test results, advised him that he should quit the experiment immediately. He refused. He felt lousy, But amazingly, he would feel better as soon as he ate more. A registered dietitian told him the reason this was because he was becoming addicted to the junk food. By the third week, now get this, he began to experience heart palpitations, chest pain, and breathlessness. We told him that he was trashing his liver and it was as fatty of that of a long-term alcoholic. All three of us doctors begged him to stop the diet and return to a low-fat diet. Before his 30 days, Spurlock was a sick man. He had gained 24 pounds in less than 30 days, had high cholesterol, high blood glucose, high blood pressure. His liver values indicated that he had serious liver damage. His fat levels had soared. He was moody and left completely empty and exhausted. But he was eating. 
Guys, maybe it's quite possible that the reason that we're not growing, we don't feel healthy spiritually sometimes, is because we are ingesting junk food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. As we kind of land this morning, I want to give you one more thing that he says. Jump to verse 3. He says, you want to kickstart the craving, remember your salvation. Get rid of some stuff, clean out the junk food. But he says, verse 3, he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, he says, refocus, remember the goodness of the Lord. See, Peter uses, and I find it odd that he does, but not really. Whether you realize it or not, he's using scripture there. He's using a quote from the first part of Psalm 34. Where the author there tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. He calls us back. He says, listen, lock into that the Lord is good. That God is good. That God is is gracious. See, that taste, he uses it as a metaphor. He says, you come to know by experience. See, you have a taste for something because you've experienced its goodness. Last night I had a taste for Pied Piper ice cream because I knew before I walked in the door what it was going to be like because I had experienced its goodness. He says, in these moments where you want to kickstart your craving, remember to recall, refocus that God has always been good. He has, he has allowed you to receive forgiveness. And he, yeah, you get to experience eternal life, but you get to experience, call, recall some of those moments where you've experienced his goodness here and now. And guys, I've met people, and maybe some of you have, we have such a faulty view of God that sometimes we read into Scripture and we bring that faulty view of God into Scripture because we think that God's just out to get us. And I'm going to tell you that God is good. There's no way, there's no, no how we can take from this that God is just simply out to get us and that He doesn't want good things for us. God wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with Him. And God loves you more than you know. And, Paul, and Peter says, listen, recall the goodness Recall the grace. So my question as we kind of end this today is when have you, when's the last time you've experienced, recalled, tasting that the Lord is good, that God is good? And if you're struggling with that and that has bled over into you wondering if you're good enough, just open it up. Begin to read the, the text, refocus on his goodness, and eventually what will happen is it will kick into motion that spiritual appetite mechanism where we can't get enough. I'm going to end with a quote from Stephen Cole. Listen to this. He says, Taste points both to personal experience and enjoyment. I can't taste for you nor you for me. I, can't, I, I can only lead you there, but I can't, I can't taste this for you. He says, To taste something... We've got to experience it up close. I love this. Once you like the taste of something, you don't just live, you don't just eat it to live. You live to eat it. And I promise you, when you begin to taste this, you won't just eat it to live or to escape hell or to get it right. You'll begin to live to eat it. And in doing so, God's going to change your life through it. Remember your salvation. Get rid of some things. And remember that the Lord is good. You got to stand with me.
I'm going to pray for us out this morning. And our challenge is simply this in, in this series. We have no agenda other than getting you to open this. Taking a bookmark, putting that red dot, whatever it is you need to do, just get into this and taste that the Lord is good. And in doing so, you're going to begin to respond in all kinds of areas. You're, you're going to respond. To, you'll be a better husband and a better wife. You'll be a better boss. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better friend. Because God has a way of, through his spirit, causing responses. You're going to get to a place where you go, wow, where'd that come from? Well, it's because I'm spending time here. And what we fill ourselves up with is what begins to overflow into our lives. Father, this morning, we just pray that you would allow good things to overflow from our lives. God, we can't overflow with goodness if we don't put goodness in there. And as cliche as it sounds to say we are what we eat, God, if we're not eating and tasting and experiencing you through your word, we're just flat out missing out. And God, for us to sit and think that growth is going to happen through osmosis, that just because we own a Bible, that somehow the Bible is going to change us, God, it doesn't work that way. And I pray that you instill in us this desire, this craving to want more of you and the way that we will encounter, at least in one area of our life, more of you is through your word. And so, God, we just pray that we, we, we discipline ourselves to want you. And, and that discipline doesn't linger forever as a negative, but, God, that discipline just turns into habit, and that habit turns into something that we can't wait to see what it is that you will reveal through your text and through your, your spirit when we open up your word. God, we pray that in, in, in our life that the perspective of your word changes, that it's not just an ancient book, but it's a story that's continuing to be told. God, it's our story that we get to live into, incorporate into our lives. So Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word, for the text. Thank you for what it's doing and what it will continue to do in our lives.